the north star for any curator or host MC, I think, is to make sure you are supporting and preparing the speakers, introducing them in less than 45 seconds, and getting out of the way and let them do what they are prepared to do, and that's deliver their talk. Hello, TEDx organizers, and thank you for joining us on Solving for X. In this series, we explore the stories and experiences of TED staff and TEDx organizers from all over the world. I'm your host, Jay Hirati, and today I'll be talking to David Ray. He's the co-organizer and host of TEDx Portland in Oregon. David's been hosting TEDx Portland for nine years, and he has a lot to share with us about how to bring passion and authenticity to the stage. Listen in as he relays his foundational elements for great hosting. Are you ready? Let's jump right in. David, welcome to Solving for X. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. It's great to have you. Why don't we get started by hearing a little bit about TEDx Portland and yourself. Tell us a little bit about the history of the event. I've been involved uh, since the very beginning. In 2009, when the X platform came online, I was fortunate enough to be on TED.com and applied for and received the first license uh, for the city uh, with my friend and co-founder, Mark Starkey. And we've been at it for 10, 10 and a half years. It's just been an absolute joy to help produce this for our city. And you've hosted the event for all nine years, right? I have. Yeah, I co-hosted the event in the first year with my mentor at Nike at the time named Michael Doherty. And then he unclipped my wings and I was, I've been the host and MC uh, since then, since year two. Fantastic. So that's a great segue for us into your career as a TEDx host, which is really what we want to talk about today. And we want to get a total brain dump from you about everything that you've experienced, everything that you've learned and everything that you think another TEDx organizer might be interested in hearing or could possibly learn from. Maybe start with kind of going a little bit macro. What did you learn from being a host for that long? What do you think is the key for success? What are the first one, two, and three lessons that a a good host should know? Number one, it's not about you. You are there to be a facilitator and you are there to introduce and get out of the way and truly honor the speakers and performers and make sure the spotlight is not shining too bright on you. And if something goes wrong, if something goes right, you are there to be the grease on the wheel to make things go smooth. But uh, the North Star for any curator or host MC, I think is to make sure you are supporting and preparing the speakers introducing them in less than 45 seconds and getting out of the way and let them do what they are prepared to do and that's deliver their talk. One of the things that I'm curious about because when I look at your clip I immediately am intimidated by what an amazing personality you've got on stage, right? And you have charisma and you're likable and you've got good energy and I immediately sense that you're a superstar, right? I've, I see you interviewing people and I think, wow, David is so cool. Um, but but how, how do you make how do you say I'm not in the spotlight's not for me and you at the same time know you've got you gotta be charismatic otherwise you wouldn't be a likable host. 
How do you navigate that? I, I think likability, yeah, likability, charisma, um, those are gifts. I, I have nurtured those talents. My parents were both charismatic, especially my mom. Um, but I think there's a way to come off as selfless and there's a way to approach the job that it truly is you're deflecting the light and the energy of the day to the speakers, the reason why everybody's in those seats. And if you can bring some levity in between the speakers and during the breaks and thank the sponsors and do your job in, in a way that it, it comes off as authentic and sincere, if there are opportunities for humor, that's great, seize the moment. Uh, but you're not a stand-up comic, right? You're, the job is not to crack jokes all day and be a comedian. It is you are there to produce a run of show and make sure things stay on time. And God forbid if, if a monitor goes out or there's a malfunction with the, the production or the AV, you're there to jump on it and uh, take care of the program and be on your feet in that moment so the team behind you can get back on their feet and advance the program. And, and that's the beauty of live theater. Something's going to go wrong. You prepare and practice and plan for months but as an MC, as a host, you, you, you have to know that things absolutely will go wrong and being okay with that. Having grace under pressure is something that can be coached. And if the host is nervous, the audience will feel nervous. And so if you can come off as composed and graceful, then the audience will roll with you, whether it's 100 people or 3,300. Can you think of some examples of maybe like your biggest horror story and an example of maybe how well you've handled it and I don't know if you've got another one where you wish you would have handled it differently any any things that can make it real for us sure I, I, I think there have been a couple opportunities on stage where there has just been sheer stage fright where the speaker is so terrified that they couldn't get their talk out and in that moment just seeing the humanity and the vulnerability uh, I've walked out on a stage and I've put my arm around the person and re-engaged the audience to help create a safe place to, to deliver a talk. And we cut that out in post, we, and sometimes we don't. Um, but just to show the speaker that you're there for them and that this is an experience where they're supported is so essential to the success of the day. And knowing that public speaking is probably the number one fear in the world, and then these people are going up there and bearing their souls in front of 3,000 plus people, being uh, a safety net and a guardian and a person they trust. Because I've been involved, I think, one of the secret components that I get asked all the time, how do you know their names and how do you have no script? And it's because I'm involved in every one of the speaker coaching assignments. It's... It's an absolute joy to be involved in the nine-month process leading up to it. And so I know these people on stage. I am not a hired gun. I don't go out there with uh, cue cards and they, they're not seeing me for the first time. So going up there and putting my arm around them and just saying, hey, take a deep breath. We're in this together and you're going to get through it. And then they center themselves and they, they move forward. Um, that's happened a few times. So it sounds like as a host, you're showing a lot of empathy to the speakers and a lot of warmth and helping them, helping create something that creates a safe space, 
on a stage in a big auditorium, which feels like the least safe place in the world. That's obviously something you bring. And I see a few pictures here that really demonstrate that as well. Do you have small, ordinary, little annoying technical breakdowns like the video doesn't start, the wrong video plays, the clicker doesn't work or the I'm sure there's a variety of those kind of little things. Do you have them a lot and how do you navigate them if they happen? All the time. And I, I, I'm such an idiot. Some, I mean, I, I forget the clicker half the time. I, I have a wonderful stage manager. Sometimes it's even in my pocket. I forget it's there and I have my host slides and I forget to advance and I'll just speak to Jerry or uh, Steve, our team, and just like we're having a candid conversation in front of 3,300 people and just say, Jerry, can you please advance the slide? I forgot my clicker. And there's not a panic moment. I don't run off stage and get the clicker. I just own it and say, hey, um, I, I forgot to advance somebody up behind me. Please press the button. And and the, I get snickers and laughs. And, and so I think... Uh, just showing that honesty in in real time is a way to um, let everybody feel and hear and listen to what you're going through personally as a host too. And then they realize like, all right, this guy is a pro. I mean, he knows what he's doing, but he also, he's just, it's almost improv. And when people see that and it's real, everything gets dialed in because people lean in and they get excited that they know anything can happen at any moment and they're just going to roll with it. That's nice. And it sounds to me like you also show them that you're taking the audience, you're taking them really seriously, but you don't take yourself too seriously. Like if you forget something, you take that lightly and you move on. I'm not perfect, but I care about you and I'm here for you. So that's that's a nice thing. You You use the word improv. And I was impressed when I looked through some clips of you hosting that it looks like you don't have any notes. And I think you've mentioned it uh, maybe a bit earlier. You don't go out with notes and cards. Um, I find that intimidating. Like when I host an event, I'm if I'm not reading from notes, then at least I'll have the insurance policy in my back pocket with the five things I have to remember to say. Uh, even even yep. if I know them really well, I just want to make sure that I remember how do you kind of think through preparing and scripting and making sure you cover everything while it looks so natural? Great question. I, I compartmentalize the day. So starting at 9.01 sharp, I know I have four and a half minutes before I have to introduce the first speaker. And in that four and a half minutes, I need to thank our title partner. I need to set expectations with turning cell phones off and social media handles. And I have those parts memorized. Um, they are on pieces of paper backstage. And I have an eight-foot table uh, with my little central command area. And I have each bucket during the day of where I know I'm going to be speaking, people I need to thank, people I need to introduce. So it is written down, but I don't take notes out onto stage. And I know just in that moment, here's what I need to nail. And then, boom, introduce the speaker in 45 seconds, get out of the way. Then I prepare, knowing that the speaker is going to be up there for 10, 12, 15 minutes, I've got 15 minutes of time to prepare for my next one minute. And then I go out after the speaker. If there is a Q&A opportunity, we do that in the moment. But truly, if there's something I need to say, I know I only have one minute. I've had 15 minutes to prepare for that interlude. 
And so I break up the whole day with that mindset. Now, if you break it off in a whole day and I got to thank 50 partners and I got to introduce 18 people and the raffles and all the stuff we do from the city, it is a gauntlet. It is. It, it would be very intimidating to look at it from a macro level, but if you break it down into segments and compartmentalize the timing structures, it's very digestible. And I tackle it like a game. And once I thank somebody, I have a list that I cross their name off backstage, and I know I've I've thanked the 98 people, I've thanked the 62 brands, I've thanked the all of the people that need their shout out, uh, thanking our production team behind the screen. But just breaking up into little puzzle pieces is my strategy. Mm, interesting. It's kind of uh, taking it one minute at a time. It sounds for sure less intimidating than a full day. Um, yeah. What um, you've mentioned the command and control center you've got there backstage. Let's look in the host toolkit now. Uh, if somebody is listening to this and is thinking about hosting, give them a sense of what's in your command and control center. What do you have on there? What are the tools you use to uh, ease you through the day? Computer running full-time. I'm answering emails and texts in real time. Uh, I, I take feedback from the audience in real time about lighting, about sound, uh, and I then forward that and, and get that to the right person, uh, and we make changes immediately in real time. Um, I have about eight people around me. The speaker coaches, I mean, there's a whole team of about 25 production assistants behind the curtain managing everything AV. I have an 11 by 7 printout piece of paper taped to the table that is the run of show to the minute. And then beside that, I have another 11 by 17 piece of paper that has every brand sponsorship and partner that has helped produce the thing in the last nine months to make sure that they're on my radar. I cross them out again when uh, they've been thanked. Um, and I have, there are handlers. There, there I, I forget to drink water. I forget to eat. I, I get so caught up in the moment and in flow, I don't usually take care of myself. And so I have people literally instruction, like taking care of me, making sure that I hydrate um, so that I don't um, faint or get sick. But there's a lot of analog paper, right? So I have each member bio from our book cut out and on the table and then making sure that every cup of coffee has a lid on it and that there are people literally managing food, spills, water, and we, we really, there, we have a rule, an unwritten rule of Zen and calmness and stoicism backstage. And that if anybody is not wired that way, they're not allowed back there. So when things do go wrong, people aren't flipping tables over and going crazy. We just improvise and move. And so there are a lot of calm personalities backstage. We have a TV, we have sound. So even though the speaker's 40 feet away on the stage, we are looking at everything in a real-time iMag feed right beside us. And we have our own little viewing party. Wow. I, that is one hell of a command and control center. I'm, I'm truly impressed. And one thing that you said I, I, I was, I'm surprised by and I'm, is that you're receiving emails from your audience on the light, the sound, the, probably the air conditioning things like that. It really, it really makes me realize you're really there for their experience, for their comfort, and they're, they've got this direct connection with you to tell you what you could do. 
Let's let's talk about that. Like, as the host, do you, how does it go? Do you give them your email? How, how do they know how to contact you? There's about 50 people, board members, advisory team members, core volunteers that have my cell phone and know that I'm online backstage. And they send me feedback all day, whether the sound is too hot, the lighting is not correct, technical issues uh, with the stage. And I then redirect that to the proper person on our production team, AV. So we are tweaking in real time. And it's... Uh, it, it allows, I think it's a competitive advantage to make sure that we're listening and taking uh, the feedback and making sure that the audience is getting the best experience possible. And one quick story about that is this was three years ago, four years ago, 2015. Uh, we had a newborn daughter backstage. Uh, we tend to not allow babies at the event, but we have a green room. And my wife was backstage with a three-week-old. And I was literally changing diapers in between speakers. And I was going back and helping my wife and I forgot my mic was on and I was hot. And I was backstage changing diapers with a crying baby during a speaker. And I came out to about 98 text messages and God knows how many emails of mic hot, mic hot, turn off, turn off. And so I went out, profusely apologized on stage to the speaker Everybody knew in that moment we had our child backstage. It was funny. We, um, we rolled with it. But it was one of those moments where if I hadn't been live, if I hadn't been accessible, I never would have known that that was happening. And so we just – it was a beautiful moment. And uh, for, for folks that have been to the event year over year, they remember that and they always remind me about it. Hmm. So my next question is maybe to alleviate the fears of every host's biggest nightmare – when they go to sleep the night before the event is that they're going to wake up in the morning and that they have lost their voice and they cannot host the event. And <laughs> I understand that this nightmare became your reality one year. So we'd love to hear the story about that, uh, what happened and how it happened and then how did you, well, what happened next? Oh, I appreciate you asking. This is, uh, I think, one of the coolest moments in the history of our event. Uh, I got so sick last year with pneumonia, laryngitis, and jaundice that I was unable to host. And I was hard charging through the event. Uh, I, I was naive or ignorant enough to think, no, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to get through it. And finally, my wife said, you cannot do this. You are, this is a disservice to the event. And you cannot speak. You're sick. You don't look good. Get out of the way. And... Um, she was obviously right, and I, I sent an email out at 2 in the morning before the event, and uh, I sent it out to two board members and our, our co-host of our live stream, and they responded at 2.15, 2.30, and 2.45 in the morning, so they were also up, which was amazing to me that they were not sleeping, and I, Cyber, I do not sleep before the event ever. I'm, I am giddy. I am excited. I try and sleep. I don't. I just pace around the hotel room and uh, think about every single scenario in my head. Um, but last year was different. I punted and put up the, 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 the flare and said, I cannot host. And these three people stepped up and co-hosted. And it was different, but it was beautiful. And it was a real turning point in, I think, the evolution of our event. 
in that I do need to lean more on our team and and continue to build the bench of of people that could step up in a heartbeat when asked to host because I'm not going to do this forever and I'm always thinking about the team and who can be mentored and coached to step in at a moment's notice what literally happened and 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 that's what we did this past year we brought back uh five people new faces for the first time and they just sat there and watched how we operated backstage and I asked them to all take notes to see how we produce the event and how we work and asked them to debrief and give us a postmortem on their experience and they're all future potential hosts. And, yeah. what, and what also became obvious through this story is that Nobody on the TEDx Portland team goes to sleep the night before the event because <laughs> you yeah, guys are sending all... emails at 2 a.m., responding at 2.15, and showing up to in a whole, whole different role at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, that's pretty yep. amazing. We are uh, a bunch of committed nerds. And you, you've also sure. mentioned there that you were going back and forth in your hotel room. Why are you in yep. the hotel the night before? Tell us about that ritual. I, I get a hall pass from my, my family for three days, the two days leading up and the night of. I just, I'm planning and thinking and, and going through all, through all scenarios in my mind. And so I, I try and center myself as much as possible. And uh, I do it in the confines of a hotel room. And I, I spend that time, especially the night before, thinking through multiple scenarios of what will go right and what could you know possibly go wrong what's what's really becoming obvious to me just by talking to you is you arrive at your role as a host from a very comprehensive and complete way you this is not something you come and obviously you do for the duration of the show it's something that you think about and prepare for for nine months in the lead up to it by getting to know every detail, getting to know the speakers, as you've, as you've mentioned, being part of their preparation and their coaching, and all the way up to locking yourself up in a room for three days to memorize and prepare uh, so you can deliver on those one-minute segments and 45-second segments and four-minute segments uh, in a way that is so powerful. It's, uh, it's really interesting to hear how you do that, which is which I guess is why you said earlier that you don't believe in hiring people from the outside, right? It would be hard to deliver uh, such a complete experience uh, if, if it's not somebody who's been involved in the whole process. Yes, and I, I know it's probably daunting to listen to this podcast and say, how could I be involved for that much time? We go to a lot of regional TEDx's. We have a wonderful community in this greater kind of 250-mile radius, and I won't name them, but... It was a couple years ago, and, and one thing where I just um, I cringed because they did go out and, and basically hire a host. And that person was given the script the night before, and the person was not set up to succeed. And the things they were saying on stage was, well, you know, I just met this person this morning, and I think their talk's going to be great. And it just completely takes the audience out of the experience. So um, for as much as a host or curator can be involved in the speaker coaching sessions just once and and you can hear a dry run of the talk and maybe take that person out for coffee, get to know them, form a relationship so that they trust you and you have a a bond uh, or at least a shared 
uh, camaraderie that only helps you as the host and also brings a sense of ease to the speaker. At the end of the day, if there's just a relationship. And so assigning a host, bringing in an MC is something I think that should be a core team member. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the speakers and preparing them. And if the MC host is a part of that experience, then you have more of a leash to freestyle with no notes, no script, no cards on stage because you actually know the person. Hmm. So with nine years of hosting, but more importantly, organizing this amazing TEDx Portland event, what are you most proud of? The tenure and longevity of our volunteers. And we still have the same 50 plus people involved year over year. And when I think about our core core team of about 20, there's an average of about eight, eight and a half years experience per person. And life has gotten really complicated. Life is hard. Uh, whether there's children introduced into the mix or hardship, health, we know it's hard to keep a volunteer organization afloat. And at the core of that, I think, is love. And that's tough to measure, but we truly care about our people. We know birthdays. We know anniversaries. We know the names of their dog. We are very intentional about team dinners. We are very intentional about celebrating people's efforts. We have a beautiful piece of art that was made five years ago for our MVP, and it's a beaded skull. It looks very intimidating to look at, but we surprise somebody every year. We bring them out onto stage and celebrate them in front of 3,300 people. And so just making sure I think you lead with a common denominator of love, it, it will carry the load. And as life gets more complicated, uh, the team, I think, in our time has continued to gel and make time and send the email at 2 in the morning when the kids are asleep. And that's what I'm most proud of is that we have people that uh, respond when called upon and continue to put their hand up and say, I want to do more. Well, I can say with confidence that the love that you all feel towards each other and the love that you put into your TEDx Portland event, it really reaches across the globe here in New York. We are on the other side of the country, but uh, always hear amazing things about your event. We give some of the members of our team a chance to choose one event they really want to go to normally in the U.S. because it's closer and that, that, that one is always very popular. One day I'll get to go, but I always get beat out by other team members. So I, I look forward to that. I've been really enjoying the videos and uh, the images. It looks really special to, to look at, but also I can see that it feels really good for you, for your community, for your partners. Uh, so just a, a really big congratulations to you. Thank you very much. The feeling, it, feeling is wonderfully mutual. And we think that you essentially franchising, creating TEDx in 2009 is the best thing you've ever done for the TED brand. So local organizers like us can uh, be passionate about our backyard and spread ideas um, that are uniquely of the city. So thank you very much. No, thank you, and I could not agree with you more. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for joining us on Solving for X, David. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Solving for X. Join us on the TEDx Hub to find additional resources on this topic. You can also share your insights or ask questions. This episode was produced with love by Bianca de Jesus, recorded by Taylor Stemley and researched by Tsvetina Deneva. This episode was edited by Sharina Ong. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, or of course, on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X. See you next time.